Here we are. Hey, do you remember Kurt Wise and the different epics? Well, this place is all about the antediluvian epic, or what biblical creationists call the pre-flood world. Evolutionists call this period the prehistoric world. Now I know what you're thinking. Don't bail out on me now. I assure you I am not delusional. Remember, there are huge numbers of scientists that see the evidence of creation everywhere, and it all adds up. And even secular scientists can no longer explain the origin of species by random chance, without coming to ridiculous theories like a new universe coming into existence from nothing, at a practically infinite rate per second. And even then, can't explain away the rest of the problems with ape-to-man evolution, and we can't even come close to explaining the paradox of reality. Anyway, this is about what the world was like after God cursed the earth. The time between the fall and the flood. Okay, just so I don't lose you, let me throw this out there, because I hear you saying, why did God have to curse the earth? We are the kings of the earth, the caretakers of creation. And when we read the history in the Bible, we see that when the king doesn't obey God, not only does the king fall, but the entire kingdom falls or suffers as well. Don't worry about where we are going, I got you. Just enjoy the ride and we will slowly build our theology as we travel further along on this pilgrimage. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, may he show us the way we might find ourselves knocking on the door to the promised land. Or even casting our crowns at the feet of our Savior. But for now, let's just enjoy where we are standing currently. So before we get started, let's listen to God about his cursing of the earth and our punishment since I brought it up. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. And God will dwell with man. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow or crying, neither shall there be any more pain. And there shall be no more curse. Okay, let's go in and see what it was like after the curse before the flood. So, the dinosaur days. The fossil records show pre-flood mammals, insects and other creatures were practically the same as today, but larger or more robust. There were also other species that have since become extinct, such as dinosaurs. In the pre-flood world, the atmosphere was apparently entirely different than it is today. Large animals, large plants and trees, humongous insects and flying things. What we know today as the prehistoric world is actually the pre-flood world. In order for these things to grow bigger and better, 
they would need a different environment than what we have today. Do you remember in the movie, Jurassic Park, the amber with the mosquito, the founder of the park had it as the handle of his cane? The mosquito trapped in the amber, supposedly, bit, a dinosaur, and the blood from the dinosaur was preserved in the mosquito, in the amber. Well, that was actually two different real, scientific discoveries. Mashed together to give background for a really cool movie. The discovery that gave rise to the movie was the actual discovery of dinosaur blood. However, the blood was found in actual dinosaur bone, not fossil, but bone. This discovery refuted the idea that the blood could be over 100,000 years old, much less millions. But later on we will get into dinosaur DNA and all the other blood tissue and proteins they have discovered lately that can't be very old. And what the evolutionist theory is on how and why we keep finding it. What I want to point out right now is the amber. They have found discoveries in amber, but it wasn't a mosquito. It was air. Air from the prehistoric, or what creationists claim, the pre-flood world. That's right. Air. This air had more atmospheric pressure than today, which might not be a reliable measurement of the atmosphere at the time it was trapped. But it was also much, much richer in oxygen. And that is not affected by time or pressure, and we can get a measurement. And there is more data to back this up as well. Some biologists have said that some of the prehistoric animals they have found fossils of might not have been able to breathe in the current atmosphere we have now. They have also theorized that some prehistoric insects, like the dragonfly, would not be able to sustain flight in the current environment. It has been tested and proven that with increased pressure and oxygen, biological life would be essentially bigger, better, and more robust. That would explain why the dinosaurs were large as well as the trees and vegetation. Fossil records show that there were dogs and cats, rats and bats, and other species that are still around. But they were much larger and robust. For example, just like we have found dinosaur remains, we have also found remains of other more common creatures, such as the megatherium, or giant sloth. Unlike the 15-pound sloths we have today, they say megatherium weighed up to 550 pounds, or castoroid dust, also known as a giant beaver, over 8 feet long. And at 11 feet from the nose of its head to the tip of its tail, there was what we have now named glyptodon, or giant armadillo. So there was all kinds of creatures, from hyenodon, or giant hyenas, to bear-sized rats. And even the megalodon. That giant shark that we all have heard about, thanks to Hollywood. That makes me wonder. How would Jason Statham deal with a pack of giant wolverines, who sought to rid him and his kind from their territory? That's funny. Could you imagine being terrorized by a 50-pound ladybug, or a 300-pound rabbit? I don't even want to think about Titanoboa, a 43-foot snake. How would you like to milk a 14-foot-tall cow? So something was drastically different about the atmosphere before the flood. How could the oxygen and possibly even pressures be so different in the pre-flood world? As we will see later, the flood was much, much more than water covering the earth. 
the Bible says the ground burst forth. It also tells us that the entire earth was watered by springs, which are described as what we would call geysers. This would indicate that the earth was under pressure below the surface before the flood. This upheaval was a planet destroyer that reconstituted the entire earth and its atmosphere, and as the Bible tells us, would be the case. To go from no rain on the earth to the clouds and weather systems we have today, as the Bible indicates, would require an earth-shattering tectonic disaster, which is what geological records seem to declare. So in such a different world, could you imagine going back in time to such conditions? With the amount of oxygen the atmosphere had, based on the pockets of air found in the amber, every breath you took would be intoxicating. More oxygen in the air means more oxygen in your blood and more oxygen to your brain. All biological life would have been robust and different than today. Even mankind. Humans. And not only because of the atmosphere, but because of the zygosity of the biological life then, and the degeneration of genetics over time, as we will see later on. The Bible says people before the flood lived long lives of hundreds of years. And after the flood they still lived long lives for a short period of time, but tapered off quickly within a few generations. This is exactly what you would expect with a rapid change in atmosphere. After the flood, a hyper-adaptation in the biological development of the species based on the drastic change in environmental conditions would have occurred. The same thing would have happened with all of the species that would have spread out and multiplied from the ark. A complete super-multiplied adaptation to an environment completely different. Species would have to completely adapt diets and lifestyle and even physical adaptations until they finally evolved to the states where they were stable with their new environment. They would have probably migrated for a few generations, until they found a place they settled and could thrive. Survival of the fittest. After a few generations, they would have gone from dragonflies with two-foot wingspans to what we see today, and rats as big as Volkswagens to the rats we see today. Humans could have went from living lives of hundreds of years, to a hundred years. Mankind could have gone from stout stocky Neanderthal with a tougher skull, bigger brain, tougher jawbone and teeth that last hundreds of years, to what we are today. Even with the invention of modern medicine and diet, our microevolution is still comparable to the rats and dragonflies. Neanderthals were probably stronger than us, better looking than us and had the capacity to be smarter than us. What we picture Neanderthals as has radically changed over the past few years. Just do a quick image search for modern Neanderthals and you will see what I mean, even though I think we still have a lot of presumptions assumed into the images. Neanderthal DNA is found in all humans. We all possess genetic information inherited from Neanderthals. Secular science, which is not allowed funding for creation causes, assumes mutation rates from humans to chimps, to establish dating, and is only allowed to study natural causes. Where creation-funded scientists have found overwhelming evidence for so-called Neanderthal to be younger than the secular scientists claim. Many human footprints have been found fossilized in the rocks as well. These footprints have been dated to prehistoric days and have been found along with dinosaur footprints, either alongside the dinosaurs or embedded together. When observing most of the footprints with the naked eye, people would say they are human footprints. If a child were to look at them, 
they would say they were human footprints. Police forensics have looked at some of the prints and said they were human footprints. However, many scientists claim they are fake or not human, mostly because that just cannot be, and they have no other reason. Other times the footprints have been confirmed and then mysteriously been vandalized and destroyed. Hey, have you ever thought about how these footprints, or tracks as they are usually referred to, and other fossils are preserved? I mean, I've made plenty of tracks, but every single one of them are gone now. And when an animal dies, it gets consumed. Either by other animals, birds, insects, or just rots away. How are there so many fossils found all over the earth? Why so many, if everything I've seen traces of disappears over time? That's a good question. Fossils can only form naturally when immediately covered by the preserving sediment or medium that cuts it off from oxygen. So it has to be buried in an airtight or wet medium. In the case of footprints, the footprints would have been made, and then before any rain or weather deteriorated the tracks, they would need to be covered by sediment until hardened, by time and or pressure. Practically every geologist will tell you that almost all fossils were evidently preserved by a flood, and evidence shows that even more than that were caught off guard by a natural disaster of some kind. The sheer amount of fossils they find in the strata layers alone, along with the fact that fossils of sea creatures are found on all mountains, would suggest a worldwide planetary destruction of life and habitat, which fits within the Bible's account. And these are only a few evidences that add up to the biblical exposition. Anyway, so there's a picture of the pre-flood, or antediluvian period. Or at least some things to consider. I realize it can be hard to accept that man and dinosaurs aren't millions, or billions of years old, and that they lived at the same time. And of course we don't need to believe it either to be a faithful servant of Jesus. We are just looking at the evidence of recent findings that seem to add up and confirm the Bible without playing mental twister to make the Bible fit the so-called science. Science seems to back up the Bible. At least that's what multiple scientists, with multiple PhDs, claim. And of course it would. The Bible and creation were both written by God. Anyway, there's still a lot more fun to have ahead. We are just road tripping. Jesus is all that we need. But sometimes we need each other to help get past the hurdles and hang-ups that can hold us away from him. Don't think you need to agree with me, or anyone else, to hang out and go on strange and interesting adventures together, or to believe what God says in the Bible, or to believe Jesus is the Son of the living God. Oh, and by the way, we are going to gain more knowledge, and hopefully some wisdom as well, when we get further down the road and look at some actual dino-DNA and check out the dinosaurs in the Bible. That's right. If you didn't already know, dinosaurs, although they don't need to be, are in fact mentioned in the Bible. And, yes, they could easily have been on the ark. Let's just keep on traveling and gathering what we can. If we miss something, we will surely find what we are looking for at one of the next places we stop. Sound good to you? So, where to now?